I just ask that you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week we read from verse 17 through to the fifth verse of chapter 3. But we're now, this week, going to be finishing off uh, that, that same portion, but with a part two sermon. Uh, we're going to be looking at, as last week we saw, the afflictions of Paul, this missionary, and, and the example of that laborious, death-defying, even on the, the brink of death constantly, anxiety, abandonment, suffering, that missionary, apostle, church planter, pastor, Christian, gave to us example for the, the way that we ought to live, knowing that this life is just so short and the only thing that lasts into eternity in rewards are those things we do for Christ that look ordinary and that look extraordinary. All things done for Jesus last in eternity. And we suffer for it. This week we're going to see how we also, like Paul, suffer for living for Jesus. I'm going to read uh, the same portion as last week from verse 17 through to chapter 3, verse 5, and we will uh, begin tonight's sermon. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as you now know and has come to pass. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain." Well, we're going to now look tonight at the afflictions that Christians suffer and should expect. Because it, it, it's the reality and the constant witness of Scripture that Christians do suffer affliction. If, if anyone, if any church needs to not be told that, it's the churches that Paul planted. Why he needs to, to write back to the churches that he's planted and tell them, hey, by the way, Christians suffer, is beyond me. Because he, as he's planting that church, as he's preaching to them, as he's teaching them, pastoring them, leading them, constantly was the attack against him. Constantly was the, the seeking of his life and the smearing of his reputation. No one who ever heard the word preached from Paul and saw how he lived should need to be told that Christians suffer. But God is gracious to give us both a preached truth and a lived example, a living example. Paul needs to tell us this because we are so constantly forgetting what we have heard. He needed to tell the Thessalonians because they were forgetting what they had heard from this beloved apostle. It is possible, it is possible that afflictions 
can distract us. Don't think that because you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're free from affliction. That's not true. We'll see that. But also don't think that you're free from afflictions ever doing you anything but good. Because in fact, they can distract you. They can make you bitter. They can discourage you. They can turn you against God for a time. They can tempt you away from your calling. That is what Paul suggests in verse 5 when he says that he's worried, fearful, that somehow the tempter, Satan, had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul, as we saw in verse 2, of chapter 3. He sent Timothy back after he had been run out of town, after town, after town, and now sat alone in Corinth, hundreds of miles away, waiting to hear about his brothers and sisters back in Thessalonica. He sits there waiting after sending Timothy to go check it out from Athens. He now waits and he receives back the word of encouraging news the Thessalonians are going well, but they are suffering, and Paul writes to them to encourage them. I want to read to you a portion of another letter, not from the Bible, but biblical in its content still. This is a letter from John Calvin, and he wrote back in the year 1553 to five young Frenchmen who were about to be martyred for taking the gospel into Catholic France, taking the Protestant gospel of justification before God by faith alone, by grace alone, taking that into the land of France, were about to, was about to get them martyred. And John Calvin wrote this, We who are here shall do our duty in praying that God would glorify himself more and more by your constancy, your perseverance, and that he may, by the comfort of his spirit, sweeten and endear all that is bitter to the flesh. And so absorb your spirits into himself, that in contemplating that heavenly crown, you may be ready without regret to leave all that belongs to this world behind. Now, at this present hour, Calvin continues, Necessity itself exhorts you more than ever to turn your whole mind towards heaven. As yet, we know not what will be the event, but since it appears as though God would use your blood to seal his truth, love that line. Since it seems that God would use your blood to seal his truth, there is nothing better for you than to prepare yourselves for that end beseeching him to so subdue you to his good pleasure that nothing may hinder you from following wherever he will call. Since it pleases him to implore you in the death, uh, to the death in maintaining his quarrel, he will strengthen your hands in the fight and will not suffer a single drop of your blood to be shed in vain. Your humble brother, John Calvin. What a letter. What a letter of encouragement to those young men about to die. Well, the Thessalonians received their own letter from Paul to do very much the same thing. Look at verse 3. 
that he sent Timothy to be this living letter. Okay, first of all, he sent Timothy, my brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, to strengthen you, to toughen you up with some loving, tender words. And then also, that was why he, 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 he wrote this letter afterwards when Timothy had returned, to exhort them, to strengthen them, and to teach them. Well, why not? Why, as Paul is saying, why is it that we should not be moved by this temptation? As, as he said there, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. Hold fast. Stand firm. Do not be moved. What is the motivation? Why does Paul say this? And what does he say is the motivation to doing so? Well, he says, verse 3, the end of it, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. This reality of suffering is a part of God's good, eternal plan for the spreading of the gospel and the building of his church and the sanctifying of each individual. This reality is that God is doing this for our good and his glory. One of, let, let me give you this illustration. One of the most effective tools or instruments, or weapons that you can have in warfare is the element of surprise. I know you were able to finish that sentence in your head. The element of surprise can, can mean that a smaller, shorter, weaker young man can bring a, a larger, stronger, more built, more equipped man in a battle down. If he can just sneak behind, if he can sneak into where he is getting ready, where he is uh, warming up, where he, whatever it is, if you have the element of surprise, you can sneak in unawares, you can be the end of your opponent, even if they have all of the instrumentality to defeat you, was it a face-to-face battle? Well, Satan's greatest friend is the pastor who does not warn his people that suffering is inevitable. The pastor, the preacher, who, even worse yet, the preacher who tells his people that it is God's will to always be pampered, always be blessed, and always be prosperous, that preacher, he is getting cash from the devil because he is doing the devil's work. What he is doing is making a people, the flock of God, the family of God, unawares, unready, and completely surprised when suffering comes. This is where this comes in, that that if you can be prepared for suffering, prepared for affliction, then it will never have the element of surprise and take you down. You will be able to see when it is coming, You'll be able to know that in the midst of it, this was always meant to happen. I'm not surprised. I'm not, I'm not shocked. I'm not taken by surprise. This is destiny for me. I'm a Christian. This is destined for me. Paul is telling them by saying it's destined that he's taking away the element of surprise. Please, friends, don't be attracted. And to anyone who would hear this, don't be attracted to that sweetness of the honey 
of the preaching that tells you that God's will is a smooth sailing life of blessing and of having prosperity always. No, the reality that is a bit more bitter to taste and definitely harder to swallow is that we are destined for afflictions. It is unavoidable in Scripture. In fact, verse 4 tells us that, that, that when Paul was with them, he was continually telling you that you were going to suffer, right? Him among the Thessalonians, his preaching was, was it had a constant theme. It was Christ and him crucified, but mingled with that on, on what the Christians should expect in their life was constantly, you're going to suffer. You need to know that the Jews will come against you with a force to shut you up. You need to know that your family and friends still in their sin will think you crazy and be very vocal about it. You need to know that the pagan authorities will try and throw you in prison. Satan ruling over all this sinful world and sinners in it will be against you. And even your own flesh will be attacking your righteousness, wanting to go back to sin. You need to know it's afflictions at every turn. It's difficulty on every page, continually telling them beforehand that they were to suffer affliction. This means that faithful pastors, faithful preachers will tell you, you will suffer. Sometimes it's persecution. Sometimes it's circumstantial inconveniences and difficulties. You know, you're not immune to natural disasters. Sickness can strike you, Christian. People will betray you, loved ones will die, and your church will be attacked by wolves who seek the downfall of God's church. Inevitable. Not by chance, but by God's destiny. Let me read for you a section of, of John Payton's biography. John Payton was a missionary to the New Hebrides, now known as Vanuatu. Back in 1859, he landed on that faraway land from his home in Scotland. And he served there all up by the end of his life for 46 years. <clears throat> he wrote this on the same theme that we're talking about tonight. In the midst of suffering, this is what he wrote. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all of my scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal until my master's work with me was done. The assurance that came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us. Not a club would, pre would prevail to strike us. Not a spear would leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown. Not an arrow would leave the bow or a killing stone leave the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, whose is all power and authority in heaven on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the New Hebrides in this, the South Seas. In the midst of persecution, what was his confidence, his comfort? Knowing that God in Christ oversaw it all. You are, Christian, destined for this. I want to look 
briefly at what else we're destined for. Right? Well, we like to think, as we're reminded what you're destined for in the Christian life, what your mind might go towards, okay, we're good Reformed Christians, I'm destined for salvation. True. Well, we are destined for sanctification. That's true. You're going to become more holy in Christ. And I, I think as, as you think destiny, uh, my destiny is heaven, glory, rewards, right? These are the things we're destined for. And Paul says, well, what you're also destined for is affliction. And affliction at every step of salvation, sanctification, and glory. In fact, affliction is what brings about oftentimes your salvation, brings about your sanctification, and brings about your rewards in glory. So look with me in, in verse 29 of Philippians chapter 1. He's going to talk about here salvation, because we're destined for salvation. Well, Paul says, It has been granted to you that you should, for the sake of Christ, not only believe in him, Yes, you are destined for salvation, but also suffer for his sake. You're destined to believe and be saved, yes, and, and suffer. Or writing to the Romans, uh, the church in Rome, in chapter 5, verse 3, he said of speaking about holiness and sanctification, something else you're destined for. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Yes, you're destined towards holiness, but you're destined towards holiness through affliction. Do you see? Then also in Romans chapter 8, a little bit later in verse 17, we're going to see now how he talks that we're destined for glory. That's true. But how does glory and reward come? Paul says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Or, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4.17 tells us, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal Weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yes, you're destined to salvation and affliction. You're destined towards holiness through affliction. And you're destined towards glory if you pass through affliction. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 tells us, verse 11, Jesus himself said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Again, a connection between reward and affliction. You are destined for all of these things. Let me read for you another section of John G. Payton, the, the missionary to the New Hebrides, as we were just hearing from. And, and he's going to speak to this very same thing, afflictions being destined for us. He said this, now, this is a man who has lost his wife in the first few weeks of landing on the mission field, who lost his child in those same few weeks, and who labored 
for four years without seeing a single convert, constantly at the threat of death from the natives. It says this, Whatever trials have befallen me in my earthly pilgrimage, I have never had that trial of doubting that perhaps after all, Jesus had made some mistake. No, my blessed Lord Jesus makes no mistakes. When we see all his meaning in the end, we shall then understand what now we can only trustfully believe that all is well, best for us, best for the cause most dear to us, best for the good of others, and best for the glory of God. This was the confidence, the unshakable zeal of John Payton to suffer as we will because he knew it's all under the plan of God. It's destined for us. And now I want to lastly look at the the rewards that Paul motivates us with. In fact, the rewards that Paul himself was motivated for. We've seen that affliction is inevitable under God's control and his providence and decrees, that it is intertwined with all those other things that we are destined for, salvation, holiness, and glory. But now he wants to motivate us. Remember, the question is, why should we not be moved by these afflictions? How can we be not removed and moved by these afflictions? Look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. They read like this. This is Paul speaking of his own motivation. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? How would you answer that question? What will be your hope, your joy, your crown to boast about before Jesus as he comes back? Paul answers, is it not You, the Thessalonian Christians, for you are our glory and our joy. Now, this brings up some questions as he uses that language. I mean, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, the only other book that he's written before this book, he says that we would boast in nothing save the cross of Christ. And yet here we find Paul boasting with glory and joy and hope in his people, pointing to the fruit of his labor, what he has accomplished in the Spirit, and saying, you are what I boast about. You are what I am hopeful for. You are what give me joy. Sounds like he's, he's gotten himself all confused. But what we realize is that there is a a way that that in the work of Christ, we become partakers of suffering with him so that we can build the church with him and receive a portion of reward in glory from him. So there is, let scripture create this category for you. There is a way to boast in the results of our kingdom labor, that is really glorifying Jesus. There is a way to boast in what has been produced 
that is actually boasting in Jesus. It's as if, it's as if Paul was saying this. Because of Christ working through me, you are now saved. And you are now growing. And you are earning your own rewards. And all of that will amount to joy for me now, glory and boasting now, and hope for rewards in heaven for me. So, so what Paul wants the Thessalonians and every pastor, every missionary, every evangelist, what you can say to your people who have come to faith because of you, whether they're your children or whether they are others you have evangelized, what you can say, as Paul did, is that they are your crown of boasting. They are your hope and joy. They will be for you rewards in heaven. Not only, Paul was saying, not only was my affliction great in my mission, but my reward will be great. Not only will your affliction great be Christians, but your reward will be great. Not only will you labor hard, but if by the Spirit you have labored, you will have results in this life and glory in the life to come in the shape of a crown placed firmly on your brow by King Jesus himself. And if I can return to the life of John Payton, who, who, having been over 65 years old, now writes his own biography and writes his, his story of the mission field, he writes this on this very same vein. He said, Let my record, sorry, let me record my immovable conviction that this is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived all over again, I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar of Christ. That he might use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially amongst those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Nothing has been endured and nothing will ever befall me that makes me tremble. On the contrary, I deeply rejoice when I breathe the prayer that it may please the blessed Lord to turn the hearts of all my children to the mission field and that he may open up their way and make it their pride and joy. Do you hear the, the echoes of Paul there? Their glory and joy, we could say. To live and die in carrying Jesus and his gospel into the heart of the heathen world. Friends, that is our glory and joy and hope and reward. That is our, our, our path set before us. Suffering, much affliction. Let it always be said here at Hope, as it was able to be said of the Thessalonians, that when we were among you preaching, Vic, myself, and any other pastor, we were continually warning you that there will be great afflictions, but that in and through those afflictions, there is working of salvation, your own holiness, eternal rewards, and kingdom fruit in the mission of Jesus Christ. And 
and, and where each of our hearts is, is condemned in the, in the laxity that we have, in the disobedience to this missionary call, in this failure to preach Jesus in our life and through our words as we should be doing, to that failure comes the reminder, it is Jesus crucified on the tree to do away with your sin, to take away your guilt, that you would not know, not any longer live under that crushing weight of conscience that stops you from preaching that stops you from evangelizing, that stops you from living out an open and God-glorifying faith because you just feel you're so unworthy and undeserving. Friends, amen, of course you are. You are less deserving than you realize and more sinful than you realize. But in the gospel of Jesus, taking your sin, dead under God and buried in the ground, risen back to life, You have freedom from the guilt, the condemnation of the law, and you have power, motivation, and glory set before you to go and win the world, one soul at a time, beginning where you are and seeping throughout all of this creation of God. The call to you today is that you, friends, for for any people out there that don't have Christ as your Savior, that don't call on Him as as your Lord, your Redeemer who forgives you. That you, though condemned by the law, you can be brought into right standing with the Father because Jesus has died for all. You will never die again just as Jesus will never die again. You have an eternal salvation if you bring your soul to Christ in faith. The call is to leave behind your vain pursuits, your sinful pleasures, your worldly living, your pathetic desires in life. Leave them behind. Come to him who is for you, your justification, your glory, your everything. God calls you, demands, and welcomes you into his family if you would do that this very day. And he will set you on a life of mission, affliction, and glory. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for the example of Paul. And in case those were ever too glorious to be followed in, thank you for the example of the Thessalonian church, not older than six months old, living under affliction, glorifying Jesus and having the word and gospel of God resound from among them. Make this church, God, ever more holy, continually increasing in our witness, kingdom uh, fruit and productivity, knowing that each one of us will find our names on a headstone and our bodies in the ground sooner than we realize. And we wish, God, to have a glorious inheritance waiting for us. We want to bring with us many other souls that have been saved through our working. We want to have a crown of boasting before you that will only glorify you all the more as the giver of every gift. We thank you, God, for your salvation. Save souls as they hear this gospel. Bend our knees to your call to obedience. We love you and thank you and glorify you. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen.
We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.